This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. Once you are you know, about to kind of make that step to figure out into the big divide, whether um, it be um, going to private practice or um, academics or you know, some people go into industry, Right, it 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 really has to be, you know, what aligns with your own kind of goals. Um, just kind of follow your heart. Hi, this is Gastro Broadcast presented by GastroLogics. I'm your host, Lisa Matthew. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Peter Leong, a longtime friend and colleague. Dr. Leong is a health services researcher and epidemiologist at NYU Langone Health with a primary focus on colorectal cancer prevention. He's also chair of the AGA Trainee and Early Career Committee. I'm excited to talk with him today about resources and opportunities that exist for early career GIs. Dr. Liang, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Dr. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, when did you decide on becoming a GI physician? Well, I think when I went into medicine, um, I thought, that you know, internal medicine was what my vision of um, doctor was, and I liked all the different type of specialties I rotated through as a medical student. But you know, I decided that ultimately internal medicine was the way to go. And once I started residency, you know, I had to think about whether I wanted to try to be a expert, a specialist in something, and um, felt like that's something I wanted to do, and did a bunch of. Um, subspecialty rotations and the gastroenterologist I rotated with, um, this was you know, fourth year uh, med student actually um, at Brigham Women's, um, were just a really cool bunch, really chill, um, and a lot of you know interesting diseases obviously. And I thought that it was a good way, one, to be able to work with my hands, uh, I really liked to be able to do procedures, and also there's a lot of intersection with other you know, um, disciplines within medicine. So cancer, which is an area that I'm, you know, um, especially interested in, also nutrition. Um, so I think it was, it was a way to specialize, but still have a, um, a lot of different ability to change my practice as life goes on. A specialized generalist. I like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and how did you choose the academic setting and what ultimately led you to NYU? Well, you know, I... Um, I did a uh, master's in public health uh, between my third and fourth years of med school. And the reason why I did it um, was to be able to have the skills to be able to do research later on. And um, I've always, you know, found research to be really interesting. Um, this is going to sound very nerdy, but, you know, I guess everyone listening is it, it, at least, you know, somewhat of a nerd. So I think that's fine. I. I started doing research when I was actually in, in high school, and um, it started with you know yeast stuff, um, and then in, in college graduated to, to mice stuff, um, and after college, I actually did a year um, abroad on a Fulbright in China, and that was on you know public health and stuff, and that really I think made me change my kind of perspective of. Um, you know, what type of 
research is quote-unquote research um, because I realized that there are a lot of you know, you know kind of problems in the world health problems for which we already have the technical solutions right? so we have the drugs but how do you actually get to the people that need them um, how do you solve the kind of bigger public health kind of issues on a population level um, that's often you know, quite difficult and so so I did my MPH to be able to have the skills to um, do the research to solve population level problems. And within GI, once I decided that was an area of medicine I was really interested in, you know, I decided to kind of look at what are the kind of big population level problems in gastroenterology. And, you know, as every gastroenterologist knows, we do a lot of colonoscopy and the reason why we do it is for colorectal cancer prevention. And so I you know, decided to um, focus um, the majority of my research time on colorectal cancer prevention. Yeah, that public health background serves you very well when thinking about systems-based optimization. So that makes a lot of sense. That's a convenient linear story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, so, it's a good thread. Yes. <laughs> Um, so your research currently is focusing on sociodemographic and geographic disparities in colorectal cancer and comparative effectiveness of different screening strategies. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, you know, I think um, some of the kind of the recent work that um, my lab is doing um, with, res- with respect to kind of disparities, um, you know, I'm, I'm now in New York, as you mentioned, have been for the past five years, and there is a really uh, cool resource in New York City uh, called the New York City Community Health Survey, it's an annual telephone survey, and they ask a bunch of different questions, um, and they ask one question about colorectal cancer um, screening, which is, have you had a colonoscopy, and I guess a follow-up is, was in the last 10 years, um, the question about up-to-date colonoscopy used as a proxy for colorectal cancer screening overall, and you know, we've been able to kind of use that um, data, which goes all the way back to 2003, um, done every year, um, and it's weighted to represent the entire New York City population, which is you know, over a million people. Um, and importantly, it's a very um, diverse population. And we, in the survey, actually all also asks about um, questions. Um, race and ethnicity, but not only in the, the broader kind of categories that we often see in the national surveys where people ask about, um, are you, could you consider yourself, you know, white, um, black, Hispanic, Asian, um, and then other often. Um, within the New York City Community Health Survey, um, within the Hispanic subgroups, they ask about you know, the various Hispanic ethnicities in terms of um, which country that your, your, your family is from. Um, same thing with the Asian groups. Um, and the importance of that is that we've actually seen that, you know, within the Hispanic populations in New York City, and also uh, with the Asian populations in New York City, there's actually a very wide spectrum of um, up-to-date colonoscopy use um, as a proxy for just colorectal cancer screening. For instance, you know, um, within the Asian population, Chinese Americans you know, have screening rates that are very close to the general population, around you know, uh, high 60s, nearly 70%. But if you look at the Asian Indian population, it was only 40%, uh, 45%. Um, similarly, in the Hispanic population, 
Um, you know, in New York City, there's a very large uh, Dominican and Puerto Rican populations, and those um, subgroups have uh, do very well in terms of blood cancer um, prevention and screening. But in the Mexican American group, um, similarly to the Asian Indian group, the up-to-date colonoscopy use is only in, um, about 45 percent. So, you know, this allows us to, you know, target not just quote unquote Hispanic, right, or quote unquote Asian, which are very large kind of uh, umbrella groups, but really the communities where we can do better using you know, targeted messages and interventions. Um, that's great. So that's kind of one area that we've been working on. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're you're trying to define disparities on a much more granular level um, to then allow for interventions that may be more effective at, you know, targeting one subgroup. Um, that's powerful stuff. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, so you're also very active in our GI societies, most notably as the chair of the AGA trainee and early committee, uh, early career committee. Tell us more about this committee and what you've been working on. Yeah, we actually just had our um, meeting uh, last night, um, and uh, I'm uh, I'm in, about to embark my my last year of my term. But the AGA Training Early Career Committee, as the name suggests, is a committee that's dedicated um, to focus on the needs of people who are in training. So with our clinician uh, constituents, our fellows, right? Um, and then early career, we define that kind of loosely as in within the first um, five to seven years um, after uh, graduation. And I, I want to also point out that it's not only um, the clinicians, um, but also our you know, PhD scientists uh, constituents, we represent them as well. And so the committee is made up of a number of uh, training early career folks who also sit on the various other AGA committees. You know, for example, the publication committee, the practice guidelines committee, the diverse committee. So then we have a natural kind of liaison into what all the various committees um, in the AGA is doing and to figure out whether th there's a way for us to kind of work together, um, especially to promote um, the interests of the early career folks and to plan programs that would um, serve the trainee early career uh, group. One of the, the big um, programs that we've been doing in the past year and, and will be continue doing is uh, what's called the Career Development Workshops. So we used to, so this started as in-person, uh, it was previously called Regional Practice Skills, practice skills Workshops. Um, so based in the city, um, and we would have a half day or full day uh, workshop talking about things like, you know, how do you decide on which career path, um, talking about financial literacy, talking about work-life balance. So all the things that are obviously very important um, to all of us as, as professionals, but things that we don't learn in training. And even before COVID hit, we decided that we would kind of make a switch into a webinar-based series. And so we, uh, done that for the past year, um, and we've done you know uh, pretty good attendance, um, and all the um, all the webinars are recorded and uh, uh, accessible on on the web on HEA uh, University, um, and we're planning to you know do the same kind of more topics um, in the upcoming year. Um, probably do another 
uh, five or six in, in the upcoming year. I've heard great feedback on those webinars, actually. Um, you guys are doing a wonderful job. I'm wondering how have you engaged or worked with the private practice community um, in, in sort of partnering uh, to help early career GIs understand what private practice is all about or how could the private practice community better serve um, our young trainees? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think um, the, the AGA has sometimes um, had a, um, been characterized as perhaps more focused toward um, academics or research. But as an institution, I mean, as a, as a society, but also within our committee, we definitely want to, um, you know, serve all of our constituents, and that obviously means, the, you know, the majority are actually obviously in practice. And so, one of the things that has been nice um, that's over my tenure in the um, in the uh, the training early career committee, we've actually had more and more members who are in practice rather than um, in academics, and that's been nice because you know, without people who are actually in practice, it's hard to um, get that perspective of what is important, um, what are the needs. Uh, for those who are in practice. And so, you know, as an example, when we're talking about with the um, career development workshops, one of the first um, workshops that we had was talking about, you know, what are the different uh, private practice options. Um, so we gave, we had some, um, we had three different panelists um, come on, one from uh, Kaiser, uh, one from a uh, large practice in, in Connecticut, and one from a large, smaller practice, just to talk about, you know, what are the considerations as one is considering um, applying to uh, a job in practice, um, as well as, you know, the things that you probably um, don't know as a fellow kind of applying, what are the questions you should be asking? And, you know, we continuously um, uh, do want to enter in communication with um, the practice management management um, and a committee to figure out what are the other programming uh, programs that we can do. Uh, for instance, two years ago, um, the last time we had an in-person DDW, we actually uh, co-sponsored a um, symposium uh, with the AJP Met Committee. Um, and, um, and we hope to be able to do that again, you know, going forward. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, I think there's so much diversity in practice and in practice models that it can be really intimidating for young docs coming out of fellowship to know what they're getting into. Um, but I appreciate your efforts in trying to better unveil that and help people understand um, how they can find the practice style that suits them best, um, which is ultimately what, what our goal should be for every trainee. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about the AGA Young Delegates program. Yeah, so this um, program was started before I um, joined the committee, so probably around um, 2015, 16-ish. Um, the idea is that, you know, um, the AGA has a number of committees, but there are more people who want to get involved than there are spots for committees. So what is there a way, Is you know, is there a way for us to, get people involved, um, but not necessarily sit on the committee because, you know, um, the, the spots are limited, but also, you know, 
pre-COVID, um, that re any committee membership required that you attend uh, two meetings a year, and that um, is a burden for in terms of travel and time. And so the Young Delegates program is a, what we call a micro-volunteer um, kind of program, meaning that, you know, basically there are a bunch of opportunities that are available through the Young Delegates pro program. You sign, anyone can sign up. Um, most are quote-unquote young, but um, anyone can sign up. And we put up a, a bunch of different um, projects that are all through the HEA, and we tell you what it is and what is the time commitment. And so it can be something like reviewing, you know, DD sub questions, right? Or, um, you know, uh, participating, giving feedback uh, about a kind of ongoing um, AGA, um, you know, app that, that we're making for different career tracks. Um, so kind of things like that. And also, you know, there's also um, opportunities to serve as um, specifically for trainees, like uh, trainee reviewers for special sessions. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a great way, I think, for people to get involved uh, earlier on. And we also kind of um, try to celebrate those who um, have been especially involved, um, you know, during our trainee early career networking hour um, that we, um, you know, have done at DDW for, for a number of years and do a virtual one um, this weekend. Uh, so we'll give them a shout out and send them some AGA swag a little bit later on. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think we, we've had actually um, over 200 um, people who are signed up in the program. And it's also a great way for um, for our committee to kind of work with the other AJA committees who um, may need um, kind of you know, people, especially young members, to bounce ideas off of. And that is a ready-made group to be able to do that. That's awesome. I mean, you've clearly spent a lot of time thinking about and wrestling with issues um, affecting and unique to uh, GI fellows and early career gastroenterologists. What advice do you have for people as they're just embarking on their career? Yeah, I think, I think the, the most important thing is, you know, this is a very personal choice, obviously, a very important one. So, you know, just stay, take a stepping, uh, taking a step back and trying to think about what would make you happy and what are your ultimate goals. Um, you know, I, I, I've um, served on our own um, fellowship uh, interview kind of panel interviewing uh, fellows. And uh, it's funny because I feel like 99% of the people when I ask them, oh, what do you want to do in 10 years? What, what's your ideal job? Everyone says, oh, I'm to stay in academic medicine. That doesn't make sense. You know, we can't all have all academic GI people, right? Um, and I think, you know, once you are you know, about to kind of make that step to figure out into a big divide, whether um, it be um, going to private practice or um, academics or, you know, some people go into industry, right? It, it, it really has to be, you know, what aligns with your own kind of goals. Um, just kind of follow your heart. And and obviously, you know, people's interests change and circumstances change. So I think I, I, um, that's important to recognize that you may have started wanting to do something, but the life happens and certain practical things may make you um, 
changed your career trajectory, and that's that's okay. Um, so I think trying to keep an open mind and be able to you know um, ask all the different folks that you meet through within your own uh, fellowship, right? If you're in training, um, who are um, obviously there those in academics, but um, for for us, for instance, we have a lot of our faculty were um, in practice um, as well to, to be able to kind of understand what life is like, really, because that's that's actually a really difficult thing to know. Um, you know, fellowship is is not the same, right, as as the full time kind of thing as life after fellowship. And so, just understanding what life is and what are the pros and cons and what gets you excited, right? What what makes you happy in the morning to go to work um, and hopefully sustain your happiness over a long career. You say follow your heart. I say go with your gut. <laughs> that is much better. I would like to revise my earlier statement and uh, take that from you. <laughs> and what advice do you have for GI practices? I mean, the other side of this coin, uh, many of us in practice are looking to recruit physicians who will be happy and long-term contributors to our businesses and in our practice. What advice do you have for those of us who are looking to recruit young GIs? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, my, my, my perspective is, is as someone who's only been in you know, academics, right? But I think talking to um, a lot of you know, our training early career folks and Kind of seeing the questions that people ask about um, what's it like um, in practice, I think it, I think that the thing is that there's just a lot of um, um, kind of mystery about it because they just haven't been exposed to it. So, and people are nervous about you know when you're interviewing what's okay to ask, what's not okay to ask. Um, so I think it's you know trying to I think the the best thing is being transparent about um, what are the expectations, right? And what are the, the, the pros? And if there, I mean, there's always going to be kind of room for improvement as well, right? In every single um, practice or institution for, for people to, to join. And so I think um, just being transparent with what you expect of them, but also um, trying to answer their questions as, um, Honestly, as you can, um, I think that that goes a long way because um, I think that you know, people have a lot of questions they want to ask, but just aren't quite sure if it's okay to ask. So if it's that if that's something that you can volunteer um, to them, uh, that will I think um, set a lot of minds at ease. That's great advice. Um, just thinking about how to be transparent and forthcoming in a situation that maybe the interviewees wouldn't feel as comfortable asking some of the difficult questions. Um, and where can early career physicians find more information about the AGA resources that we've been talking about? Yeah, um, so everything's online. Um, so if you go to gastro.org is the main AGA uh, website. And there are uh, a number of you know, different um, tabs that will lead you to you know, anything from you know, our guidelines and there's a, actually a whole section on fellows and early careers um, that will uh, you know, give you a bunch of resources. And then 
the uh, career development workshops that we um, spoke about. Um, if you scroll down to the bottom of the uh, homepage, there's a thing called AGA University. And um, that has all the uh, recorded um, webinars and, and as well as, as a bunch of other uh, resources that are, that are produced by the AGA. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really awesome. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.